But this morning, again, we find ourselves in Psalm 20, seeking to understand what it is that to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. Most of the Psalms of David happen to be contained in the first book. It seems to be this is David's story. This is David singing unto us. And the, the story that he brings to us is this morning a psalm of David where he begins, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. That if anybody had known days of trouble, surely that it was King David. Miss Tara and I had the wonderful opportunity yesterday. We were listening to something called, you've heard me mention it many times, most of you, The Bible Project. And it's a wonderful resource. They walk through books of the Bible. Now they're doing some more. But when they got started, that's exactly what they would do. They would walk through books of the Bible together. And we were finishing up Second Samuel yesterday. First Samuel we had done, I don't know, months ago and we just set it on the back burner and yesterday we were going through it and I was just reminded of the story of King David how he's anointed to be king he's already been anointed and yet he's immediately set to run he's immediately in all of these different problems he's got problems with Saul and then finally when the enemy of Saul is defeated King David is mourning before God is mourning before others and then King David is on the throne for a little while and then commits a great heinous sin and ultimately his son begins to try to take the kingdom from him in advance of when he should have been. He wasn't the rightful king. This was somebody who did not belong there trying to take the position of king and King David wound up running again. I wish I had the numbers on it because King David very little had peace in his kingdom. Very little of the time was King David actually seated on the throne. He was the anointed king of Israel. But if King David knew anything, it was that King David knew what the Lord was doing in these times of trouble because David was continuously trusting in the Lord even in these times. One of my favorite stories you may recall about King David and Saul was when Saul went to relieve himself in the uh, cavern that David was already in, and David was in there, and he cut part of the, the part of the robe off, just the bottom part of the robe off, to just kind of let Saul know, "Hi, I was here. I could have taken your life." And instead of Saul being angry at him, it was King David that was stricken down. That King David was like, "This is still God's anointed. This is still God's man." There, that God was the one that put him on the throne. King David was in a troublesome situation, and yet he knew that when he cried out to the Lord, he would hear him. And here King David is not only relaying the story for himself in a diary of sorts. No, King David is relaying it to the chief musician. Perhaps he is called the chief musician, but this is a psalm that is meant to be sung by the children of Israel. That, beloved, any problem that you've had, any trouble that you've had, ultimately is not just for your benefit. There may be some troubles in your life you're never able to share. There may be some troubles that you're never going to share apart from one or two, but your troubles this morning that have brought you to where you are today, they are beneficial for the rest of the kingdom. They are beneficial for the rest of somebody else to hear. Again, you may not have to to just go word by word and blow by blow on what happened during your troubles. But sometimes what we need to hear as the rest of the congregation of God is to truly hear that the Lord heard you in the day of trouble. That you and I join into the story with King David that somebody once said. There was a song that once said, you probably think that the song is about you. And sometimes we have a tendency to say, you probably think that the psalm is about you. And beloved, sometimes we do it in a wrong way. But I want you to know that this song psalm is about you. This psalm is to Israel that you may know that the Lord has heard others in the day of trouble. You know that if you have been one of his for any length of time, you know that you have cried out to him and he has heard you in the day of trouble before. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. 
that we have a great defender, that it is the name of the God of Jacob. And that is often how you refer to somebody matters. The time and the tone and the name that you give somebody matters. We talked about this often many a times. Miss Tara, she has a number of nicknames for us now, but that has usually been my most affectionate name for her is Miss Tara. That has been my Miss Tara for a long time. Other people have. My brother has a myriad of nicknames that some people know him by a certain name. I'll go into a certain establishment and they know him by this nickname. I'll go over here and they'll know him by this nickname. None of them derogatory that they ever let me know about. They're all good nicknames, but at different points he's been known to different people in different ways. And our Heavenly Father is actually the same way. When we see that he is the God of Jacob that is defending him, beloved, when we think about Jacob, sometimes we're likely to think, oh yes, that is Israel. And yes, there is a capacity to which we need to look at him and know that he is Israel. But when I see that he is the God of Jacob that defends thee, Jacob was a scoundrel. Jacob, most of his life, in fact, was a scoundrel. Most of his life, he was, he was scheming and scamming and he was trying to get something over somebody. And yet it was the God that chose, it was God that set him aside. It was God that made sure that he was the one that inhabited the promises of Israel. Beloved, what reminds me that even as he is declaring the Lord, hear thee in the day of trouble, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Yes, he may be talking about the whole household of Israel. But yes, it should be something within us that shows that God defends even those of us who are unworthy. That none of us have done anything that actually makes us worthy of his defending us. And yet he does it anyway. There's no means of salvation. This link I, I read through somebody was trying to take down. We have what is often called the doctrine of original sin. So y'all bear with me for a second here that we call the endemic nature and that somebody, when you're born into this world, that you were conceived in iniquity and born in sin, thus saith the word of God, that that is something that carries with us and that ultimately everything that you do is somewhat tainted by sin. Beloved, that is not to say that you never do any good in your life. I know numerous people who do not believe in Christ that do good, but it's not ultimately ultimately going to be what saves them and puts them in eternity with Christ. It must be that they submit and repent and trust only in Christ. He's the only one that has ever perfectly lived the law of God. He's the only one that has perfectly pleased God in every accord. You and I at some point in our lives have displeased God. I got to thinking, even as they were thinking, it was this great comforted thing to try to tear down this, this understanding of what we call, often call original sin. They were trying to tear it down and be like, well, surely that is not, and that that is a burden upon the people. Beloved, that is not a burden upon us. That is a gift to us that we may know that we are under that penalty of that burden of sin. That is a gift to us in the sense because I'll never forget Brother Butch Tant helped me to understand this one time. And it even began to change how I was looking at scripture. And it was just one of those life-altering moments to where I was just reading in the Bible. And, and of course in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells them, he says, be ye therefore perfect even as I am perfect. Well, beloved, if I'm reading that in its most literal sense, you and I are supposed to be perfect. You and I are supposed to be perfect. You and I don't get an option. That's what he said. He said, be perfect. Does anybody want to raise your hand this morning and say you've been perfect last week? Can you actually honestly look at yourself and say, or look at anybody else for that matter, and say you've been perfect this week? Beloved, if it is true, then you and I are not born again. If it is true that we are supposed to be perfect, even as he is perfect, then something's wrong with us. Is that not right? 
Is that not a part of our nature? This man is trying to undo the doctrine of sin. He's trying to say, if you'll just live for Jesus, if you'll just go, if you'll just live like Jesus did, if you'll just do the things of Jesus. And beloved, we need to do more of the things like Jesus. We need to have more of the compassion of Jesus. We need to do more of the outreach of Jesus. I'm not saying let us do anything less. I'm saying let us do those more. But beloved, the doctrine of original sin is a comfort to me because when I read, be ye therefore perfect, even as I am perfect, I know that it's an impossible standard that I cannot attain to. Nevertheless, I'm held to it. And that just gets a little bit confusing. All of a sudden, I begin to feel like Jacob over here. That God, I'm such an imperfect individual. God, I've been a schemer and a scammer in parts of my life. God, I've schemed you. I've scammed you. God, I know that you've called me to perfect. I've been living as a born-again individual for a long time now. And yet, God, I know that I belong to you. And yet, I know that I have sinned against you. God, this doesn't make sense to me. Beloved, if it were not for the doctrine of original sin, I wouldn't understand. I would not realize that all of the world truly is tainted by sin and that we are actually in need of a Savior. I would not realize that even the church as it stands today, that there are people in the church, there are all of us that are still touched by the elements and the realities of sin that you and I are going to be wrestling with the elements of sin to the day that we die but praise God that there is coming a day to where we shall be united with him and we truly shall be perfect even as he is perfect but I'm thankful that in the meantime it was his righteousness that is applied unto us it is because of what he did it is because of the covenant that he made that we are remembered it was nothing special that Jacob did Ultimately, kind of goes back to Jacob's father, or to Jacob's grandfather even, to the Isaac that the promise was given unto the seed of Abraham. And of course, Abraham being Jacob's grandfather, Jacob just kind of walked into this thing and happened to be among it. Beloved, I always, when we celebrate my birthday, I just have to tell people I didn't do much. That's kind of one reason I don't much celebrate my birthday is everybody makes it a big deal. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I come out and started making noise. That's about all that I did. I started making noise, started eating grocery, and I started causing problems from day one. That's all that I really did that day. She did all the work. I just kind of, I, I just said, hello, world. That's all that I did. Beloved, that's much like Jacob. And yet Jacob still belonged to God. The night that I was born again, all that I finally did was relent. There was nothing special in my action. There was nothing worthy about my action. And ever since then, there have been some things that may be deemed as good, but beloved, it's not anything that I've done. It's ultimately what Christ has done. In the day of trouble, what sustains me is not my own actions. In the day of trouble, what sustains me is not your actions. In the day of trouble, what sustains me is the fact that when we call upon the name of the Lord, of the God of Jacob, he defends us. He says, send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. These are words that would have been special unto the children of Israel. When you begin to talk about that word sanctuary, it is signifying the presence of God. That it is sending you help from his very presence, strengthening thee from out of Zion, that place of his inhabitants. Beloved, what he is getting to us, one is he is our God. We've done nothing to deserve him. We've got nothing that we have to offer him but ourselves. There is that old song, I give thee but thine home we have nothing to give back to him but what is already belonging to him and yet he is sending us help from his sanctuary and strengthening us out of zion from his presence he is doing us much good 
There is a, uh, but now a former pastor, John Owen Nocheka, is, is close to his name. I didn't pronounce it right, but he was a pastor in Atlanta, and Miss Terry and I were reading a book of his yesterday together, and it was just amazing to hear him talk about, he said, we forget that we're not needing merely the provisions of God, but that we are needing the presence of God. Sometimes all that we are wanting in our prayer life is the mere provision of God. And truly, King David does start that in the day of trouble, he is needing to cry out unto God. And the Lord is needing to hear him in the day of trouble. In the name of the God of Jacob is needing to defend him. But he doesn't rest it there. He doesn't end it there. He says, send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. The greatest thing that you and I need is oftentimes merely the presence of God. That seems a farce to say. Merely the presence of God. But if you and I can ever learn to simply rest and trust in the presence of God, just to sit there and be quiet for a little while, I'll never forget, it's been a great journey trying to learn how to pray and trying to learn what it is, and Jesus even had to teach his disciples how to pray, and they didn't say Jesus teaches how to heal demons or how to heal people or how to cast out demons. They didn't say to any of that, Jesus teaches how to do those things, but they did turn unto Jesus and they did say, teach us how to pray. Beloved, that tells me there's something about prayer that is a challenge to us. To me, I think one of the greatest things of, of prayer is the fact that we don't want to sit there and be quiet sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to sit there and just listen to God. And I'll never forget when we were down at the college in, the, in those years that Miss Terry and I were there together, of course, but there was one of the great men, and he was talking about when it came to prayer. We had something called 24 hours of prayer to where we were going to have different people pray for 24 hours straight. That was part of it. And he said, don't forget just to listen to God because surely in an hour time for most of us, it's been decades since anybody's prayed an hour. It's been a long, long time since you just spent an entire hour just resting and trusting in the presence of God. And if you're going to spend even that short amount of time as it is ultimately understood to be, how quickly an hour does pass, if you're going to spend that amount of time with God, you're probably going to have to sit down and just listen a minute. And that you just need to enjoy in his presence. That if we want to hear from him, the best thing that we can sometimes do is just get quiet and rest for a minute. So many churches, so many places wind up so busy that they never have time to rest. So many people that I love dearly that I've heard talking about just how busy their Sundays are. And I'm like, don't you know how to rest? Don't you know just how to unplug for a minute? Don't you know that when you come to the house of God, it ought not to be work. It ought to be rest. There are times that I don't want to mount the pulpit. There are times that I don't dare want to mount. I don't want to come through the doors. There are just times that I don't want any of it. But put me through the doors and mercy. If the Lord blesses me to stand behind here, there is something that turns on that I can't get turned off until it's done and until it's completed. And I walk away from here more rested than what I was when I come in. I may come through the doors trouble, but I leave through these doors that I am comforted by the peace of God. Yes, I have left here with troubles and trials sometimes. And yet there is a comfort from God. Let us rest in the presence of God while we are here. Do those things which are restful. Somebody got on to me, and I can't remember, but I think I've already shared it. But this one, this one individual was talking about how people would fall asleep in his church, and he said he used to would get on to him, and finally he figured out, you know what? If you can be so at peace and so at rest, and, and so at rest that you can fall asleep while you're under the sound of the word of God, you know what? You just go ahead and sleep. And all of a sudden, I don't have a problem with people sleeping in church anymore. If you're sleeping in church, I've taken my glasses off. I can't make out your figures. I don't know if you're sleeping. If you're wide awake sometimes, you can poke somebody, wake them up if you think that's just absolutely necessary. But beloved, if you can find rest in here and sleep while the word of God is being proclaimed, I submit to you that's one of the best things you can do. Miss Terry and I have a friend that lost her daughter in a tragic car accident. And the only way that she could find herself a way to sleep was to listen to preaching. 
So much so that every night she just listens to preaching. That's what she does every single night. She's found a multitude of different preachers that she listens to. She she has, because she's married now, and she has headphones and everything, so she doesn't disturb him, but she just listens to preaching while it's going on. So much that when she does come to church, she's got to have candy. She's got to have some M&M. She's got to have something to stay awake during the service because preaching now signifies to her, you may rest. From the trouble that you have been under, you may rest. Beloved, sometimes the greatest reminder that we have is you may unplug, you may find rest. You may even, as verse 3 says, remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifices, Selah. King David is reminding the people that they are accepted of God, that they have been heard of God, they get to dwell in the presence of God, and now it is that they are remembered by God. Beloved, we need each and every one of these promises in our lives. We need to know that God hears us. That is a reminder. Sometimes it just seems that day after day we're praying and he's not hearing us. Day after day we're seeking his presence and we don't seem to be able to find it. But every now and then we find ourselves what seems to be in the richness of the presence of God. But we also need to remember that he is remembering all the offerings and all the burnt sacrifices. Well, here it would end that doesn't that not translate to you and I? We're not going out making burnt offerings unless you burn something in the oven and we make a bad joke about it being burnt offerings. Surely we've all done that at some point, but we know it's just a joke. We know that's not what we're after. We know that that's not a burnt offering. We know that that's something more that, beloved, you and I don't have to trust in the blood of goats and rams and bullocks and all of these different things. No, and you and I trust in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, which was slain upon that cross, which was freely given upon that cross there, that he gave his blood in exchange. That When you and I back to the cross. We know that God is remembering that sacrifice. We know that it's not on the basis of what we have done but that it is on the basis of what Christ has done. And he ends this verse with one of my favorite words in all of the Psalms. Selah. And as best we can tell, nobody really knows what it means. People argue, but the best translation of it that seems to fit every time I've ever read the word is just pause and think about that. What a moment just to pause and think about that yes, he hears us. Yes, he comforts us by his presence, and yes, he remembers the sacrifice. There's a song, and I can't remember who sang it, but he said, yes, the blood is still there. That tells the story from a young Israelite boy that when it was the first Passover, as we understand it to be, as the children of Israel were about to be called out of Egypt, that, of course, the son was watching all of this, and he was watching the story, and he was watching all of it unfold as they were putting the blood upon the lintels of the door, as he was putting on the metals of the door over there. And the young son comes to his father in the middle of the night, and he asks his father, he says, Father, is the blood still there? And the song goes on, he says, safe, secure, you can rest assured that the blood is still there. Beloved, that's the greatest thing that our Heavenly Father reminds us of is that, yes, he hears us. Yes, he comforts us with his presence. And, yes, then finally he will remind us that he is remembering the work of his son, Christ Jesus, that if you belong to him, he has not forgotten you. Whatever trial, whatever trouble you have gone through, he has not forgotten you. But then he changes gears after he says, Selah, and he says, pause and think about that. In verse 4, it switches audience a little bit. It says, grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Well, it doesn't seem to be much that King David is talking to us anymore. It seems to be that King David is talking to God. Look how he says, we will rejoice in thy salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Beloved, he's changed audiences up there a little bit. He's saying, grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. He is speaking of God here, talking about how that we're going to rejoice in his salvation, the salvation of God in the name of our God. We will set up banners. 
It amazes me. We've been remarking and reflecting on 9-11 in the past week. I'm sure many of you have seen the remembrances of it. I had the great blessing to, to read to a group of people on Friday night as we were called to remember the things of 9-11. And I remember, I suppose that there were a lot of American flags before 9-11. I was very young when it happened. But after 9-11, there was an explosion of banners of the American flag because of the unity that came behind America. And I'm not upset with any of that. I'm not against our flag in the least. But beloved, it is a banner that people set up in remembrance of America. How much more you and I ought to have banners of God that we're setting up in every avenue of our lives. I don't mean that you've got to have the Christian flag. I don't know where that thing come from. I don't know the history behind that Thing. So if you got one, great. If you don't, great. Whatever. That's your business. But, beloved, there ought to be some banners of God in your life. There ought to be that you're proclaiming to somebody. We came in this morning. We were talking about street corner preachers. And I, well, sometimes I don't know what to think about them. Sometimes I'm like, you're doing a good job. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not so sure about you. Sometimes I think you might have the wrong attitude. But somebody was telling me that they had three points in less than a minute. And I thought, well, that's a lot faster than what I can get it done. He's done a lot more study and prep work than what I have. And beloved, I listened to what the message was, and I thought, you know, most of those people coming out of there may have needed to hear those three points. Some of those coming out didn't need to hear those three points. Could it have been said better? I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. I don't know the attitude that he did it with. But beloved, sometimes we need somebody to hoist up a banner of God so that we may see. We have lighthouses. I used to love hearing that old Southern Gospel song, If It Wasn't for the Lighthouse, How Lost That I Would Be. I love hearing that Gospel song, and I truly do think about it. I just got a, I got an amazement with lighthouses. We would go down to Florida, and we would tour the one there, and we've toured other lighthouses. I think they're some of the neatest things in this world. But, beloved, I think, and even in that song, it says, I know that Jesus is the lighthouse somewhere in those lyrics, that we need to be reminded of the banners in our lives. That in the midst of battle, somebody's hoisting up the flag. That even in the war between the states, one side had a certain flag that looked too much like the other side. So they had to say, we had to change the flag in order so that we could see. In other battles, that's happened. That They had to change the flag so that they could see what side are you fighting on. Every now and then, somebody in your life needs to be hoisting up a banner so that you may know that you can go to them and find comfort. You need somebody else in your life that you can go to and say that I need you in my life. I need to pull up beside of you and just weep a little while. I need to pull up beside of you and share a little war story every now and then. I need some kind of comfort from you. Beloved, you need that in your life. I don't care who you are. But beloved, somebody else needs that from you in their life. You need to be hoisting up a banner somewhere in your life so that if I know that somewhere in the rest of this world that if the American flag is flying, I know that I may be welcome in their house. I know that we have a kindredness about us that if anywhere in the world I am and somebody was flying an American flag, it's likely an American embassy. I know that I'm going to find peace there. But beloved, if you fly the banners of God, if you're flying what God has done in your life, somebody else is going to be able to come into your harbor and find safety there. Somebody else is going to be able to hear the rejoicings of God and your life and knowing that the Lord has fulfilled the the petitions of their lives and knowing that the Lord will fill, fulfill the petitions of your life. Beloved, some of us need to hoist the banners high. I think even that's an old song, that we need to hoist the banners high. Some of us in this growing age grow quiet about God. I'm never asking you to grow quiet about God. But can I ask you this? Make sure that the banners that you hoist are matched up with the life that you live. Week after week, I seem to see another person that has fallen. It bothers me more than what it used to. The further I go along in this, the more I'm just playing God, don't let that be me this time. Lord, just don't let it be me. I remember hearing one preacher, he talked about, he said it used to be that he prayed that he'd be this great preacher, he'd be this great pastor and everything else. 
And he said, now, and he's not, but in his 30s, maybe in his early 40s, he said, now I just find myself praying, Lord, let me finish the race well. Some of us just need to be finishing the race well. Beloved, some people are good at hoisting a banner that their life does not back up. I've seen, I've seen countless people that were counted in the ministry that have fallen in the past several weeks. I've seen countless people that were in politics, one in particular this past week that blew up because their life didn't match what they were saying. Beloved, let us make sure that when we hold forth the banners of God, that our lives back them up. Like what somebody said, make sure that if somebody in your life finds out that you're a Christian, that they're not at all surprised. That they're not surprised by the life that you're living and the life and the banners that you're hoisting for him. He says in verse 6, he says, Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. That he knows that God will save his anointed. That even as Peter was elating that, yes, that Jesus was raised on the third day over there, that Peter was relating that back to the very promises to where David knew that his Holy One would not see and suffer corruption. Well, King David would have stayed there over there in the ground. King David was the one that did see corruption. So surely King David had to be talking about somebody else. And Peter, on that day of Pentecost, as we call it, is he is out there and he is proclaiming that, yes, this is Jesus. He is the one that his anointed did not see corruption. He is the ultimate anointed one for you see in the book of psalms we're looking for the king to lead god's people into praise i didn't come up with that phrase somebody else much smarter than me did but he said we're looking for god's king to lead god's people to praise him beloved that's exactly what king david is doing he's still god's king but what he's ultimately pointing us to is the greater king king jesus I like when we were going through first and second Samuel with a group that I'm in that we study about twice a year together through different books of the Bible. I said, what would you say the main idea for the book of, or for first and second Samuel was? And I just wrote it down and I mean it. And the only way that I know how to say it is the king is yet to come. Somebody asked me, what's your, what's your main idea behind this book? When I read the book of first and books of first and second Samuel, all that I know how to tell you is the king is yet to come. When I look into the Psalms, all that I know how to tell you is the king is yet to come. That it is looking forward to the day that Christ Jesus would come, that he would give his life. But beloved, you and I, we are trusting in something that is to come. We are trusting for the expected return of Christ Jesus, just as they were expecting the coming of Christ Jesus. You and I are expecting the return of Christ Jesus. He says in verse 7, he says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the day of the Lord our God. Some people trust in 401ks and their bank accounts. Some people trust in the stock market. Some people trust in our government, and I'm not here to tell you that I think the government's all bad. I think some of them actually happen to be really great people. I think some of them just happen to be really corrupted by sin. I think that they're having to deal with problems that I can't imagine, but my trust has never once been in what's going on in Washington, what's going on in Atlanta. That one gentleman over there in Atlanta, I sure do love and I sure do appreciate. I sure am thankful for him, but I ain't trusting in him over there as much as I love him. I'm trusting that he's going to follow God over there. I'm trusting that even those in Washington, they're going to ultimately be used by God to achieve his will. Beloved, one thing that I have never wavered on is that I believe that God is all-powerful and God is in all control. I've had a lot of questions from that. I've had a lot of times. I've had times this morning to where I'm like, God, if you're really in control, why are you doing it this way? I know that he is in control. That has never been a wavering point in my life. I just don't always like what his control is. Sometimes I want to trust in horses and in chariots, but I'm reminded that we will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
He says, they are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Surely there is some reference to the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt that says they were trusting in the horses and the chariots which were chasing after them, and yet how God preserved them. Certainly that is the imagery that we are being reminded of here, but we know that they have been brought down, but that we are risen and stand upright. And even as we know all of these glorious truths, here's how King David ends Psalm 20. He says, save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. Beloved, there should be a greater confidence in every one of us that God is going to do what God does best. And God's always going to take care of his youngins. There ought to be an unwavering hope in God that we know. But beloved, sometimes it's going to have to be a steadfast hope. Sometimes you're hoisting the banners and it's a loud hope. Sometimes it's a hope that you need to be telling other people about. But it's a hope that can never be severed from God himself. I can't hope in God aloud and yet in privately distrust him fully. Now, I've had some, I've had some tough conversations with God. I don't know about you. I've had some conversations to where I'm like, Lord, I, I do trust in you, but I don't know how to trust in you. God, I want to hoist your banner high, and I know what it's like to hoist your banner high. I know what it's like to publicly trust in you. I know every public element of this, but God, I need you in the private moments to where I say, save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. Beloved, I'm thankful that he is a good shepherd, that we know his voice when he calls us, but he's also a good shepherd when he hears our cry, he knows us. It's amazing to me how you could be in a supermarket or something like that that's crowded with people, and if a young child is to cry out for their mother somehow that mother knows that child's voice it can be loud it, it can be a raucous in there and yet that mother's going to know that child's voice beloved sometimes that's what amazes me most about God is how he still hears us day in and day out my God of all the other things you've got to you've got to deal with you've got to put up with and you'll listen to me and beloved I'm comforted that he'll remember us and that he'll hear us and that he'll comfort us with his presence I pray that you would know all three this morning. I pray that you know he'll remember you if you belong to him. I pray that you know that he'll hear you and that he'll comfort you with his presence this morning. I pray that if you've never been born again, you don't know what that's like. I pray that you would repent and trust only in him. Beloved, your life is full of sin. Our lives are all full and wrought with sin at the end of the day. Some of us give in more than when others do. Some live a little bit close to Jesus. But beloved, we're all still in need of him. As much as we love him, as much as we proclaim him, we still all desperately need him in our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray that you would be with us always, just that we would rejoice and be glad in you. God, I pray that you would hear us. And God, I'm comforted by the reality that I know that you do hear us. I pray that you would comfort each and every one of us with your presence when we need it, oh God. And Father, may we be reminded that we need your presence in every element of our lives, God. That there is never a moment that needs to be untouched by your presence. God, I thank you that you remember us day in and day out, not just some of the times, oh God. Lord, I'm thankful for every one of the promises you've given us that we can cling to them, not what we've done, but to cling to you and to cling to your promises. Lord, we praise you this morning. We pray it all in thy son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Let us turn to Psalm, Psalm or page 151 again. Let us turn again to page 151 in the red, the church hymnal this morning. As we stand once more together and sing this morning. 
Let us sing verse 3 of page 151 again.